Where are the top prospects going in early fantasy drafts for 2024? Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, award-winning baseball writer and podcaster, and thank you for making this your first listen every single day. We're proudly part of the Locked on Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. And today's episode is made possible by our friends at Jace Medical. Take care of yourself and your loved ones when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics that treat 50-plus infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. Something that I've resolved to do more of on this show, because I want to give the people what they want, is talking more fantasy baseball. That's obviously we have a whole show for that. Locked on fantasy baseball, the fantasy baseball MDs. Those guys are great. I think not go listen to them. But I know a lot of people listen to this show for fantasy reasons. They don't necessarily care so much about the scouting report of a guy's defense. Uh, although I do maintain that defense does matter in fantasy baseball. If you are a good defender, it is easier to give you longer to uh, make it work at the major league level if you're struggling you know, offensively, things like that. But I thought it'd be really interesting to dive into... NFBC draft boards and see where some of the top prospects are being selected for 2024. And if you're not familiar with NFBC, the National Fantasy Baseball Championship, this is seen as the industry leader of high stakes fantasy sports. They have the NFBC main event is a big thing. It's like $1,700 entry fee. They give out $200,000 uh, and prizes, and then there's a they host a ton of different contests throughout the year. But one of the cool things they do is every time drafts are made on the through through some of their contests, they have an ADP board, average draft position board that updates with every pick and every draft that's done, so you can see what is amongst people who are putting a lot of money into fantasy baseball. What is the consensus? behind some of these, behind where players deserve to be, right? So I jumped into the board. I wanted to look at, find some interesting things. And the first thing that I noticed is the first two prospects that I can see off the board, assuming that I have not just missed somebody in this board, Evan Carter and Wyatt Langford of the Texas Rangers. And really interesting to me for a few reasons, right? Uh, And I think the biggest one, obviously, is we've seen Carter, we haven't seen Langford, but they're on the same team. And this is a Texas Rangers team, obviously, coming off a World Series. We've seen Evan Carter play down, down the stretch, and as part of that, we obviously have not seen Wyatt Langford. He finished the year in AAA, but seeing them both gives you some questions as to who is going to play where, and how does it work? And when you look at where they were taken, Evan Carter was taken in the 11th round, so ADP of 136 as of time of recording, which is uh, on Tuesday the 14th. For Wyatt Langford, he was taken in the 12th round 
around 141. And so what I think that this this tells us is despite having seen Evan Carter do it at the major league level, right? You saw him at the end of the regular season. You saw him in the postseason. He played a big part of that World Series roster. Despite having seen that, there is a lot of optimism that Wyatt Langford is going to reach the majors sooner rather than later. And you have to think and wonder how would everything work in the outfield assuming both these guys were to come up. Adolis Garcia is in right field. He is not leaving right field, right? He he is locked into right field. He is a superstar at this point. We can safely say led that league team in home runs with 39, was huge in the world se- or in the postseason in general until he was not. And if you look at this team and you say Evan Carter's going to be up and Wyatt Langford's going to be up, who loses playtime? And when you look at the NFBC boards, the obvious answer comes out to be Leody Tavares. He's taken in the 23rd round. And so the end of the season last year, you were seeing Tavares in center, Garcia in right, and Evan Carter in left. If Wyatt Langford comes up early next year, like a lot of people in this fan- in these fantasy leagues believe he's going to, you don't take a guy in the 12th round if you think he won't debut until midseason, right? You don't take him that early, that early. You don't take him at that point in the draft if you expect to have him as a wasted bench spot for a month or two months, right? If Wyatt Langford comes up and is in the major leagues that early, what that tells me is the expectation is Evan Carter is going to move to center field. Wyatt Langford cannot play center field. He did not do it in college. Like at Florida, they would try him out, fall ball, things like that. But there was always a better defender in college to take center field from him. So he ended up at left in left field. He's definitely not going to play center field at the major league level. And so the estimate here, the assumption is that Wyatt Langford's either going to DH or he'll be in left field with Evan Carter in center and Leody Tavares on the bench. Again, unless you DH Langford and then you can do Carter in left and Tavares in center. Uh, and then you have a guy like Ezekiel Duran who can, he's your primary backup off the bench. He can play everywhere. I think the Fangraphs depth chart right now has Ezekiel Duran as your starting DH because there's not an obvious place to put him, but it feels like He's his value is better defensively than offensively. And it's funny, I say that. Zeke Duran's one of eight major leaguers that had both a ball hit over 115 miles an hour and a sprint speed of 29 feet per second last year. So he can contribute in both, but he's historically been more of a defender than an offensive guy. He's played every position in the outfield but center. He's played every position in the infield, except for catcher. And it makes sense. He's your perfect utility guy. He's your number 10 guy on your roster. You have your starting nine, and then he's that first guy. But it tells me that there's a lot of optimism that, one, what we saw from Evan Carter at the end of the regular season and in the postseason is real, that he actually is that good, and that he should be in the major leagues to open next year. But also that what we saw from Wyatt Langford and the I'm not going to say unprecedented 
surge through the minors that he made because there have been plenty of prospects, obviously, that went, mashed their way through the minors their their draft year. But Wyatt Langford finishing in AAA and in his 44-game sample in the minors distributed amongst almost every single level. He played at every affiliate but single A. Wyatt Langford batted 360, 480, 677 with 10 home runs and 29 extra base hits in 44 games, 36 walks to 34 strikeouts, and was 12 of 15 on stolen bases. So absolutely absurd how much he did, but to the defensive point, played a grand total of 18 innings in center field. All of the rest of it was either left field or DH. So Wyatt Langford, the belief amongst the people who have put a lot of money, and I'm assuming, because just from what I know of people who play in NFBC, a lot of time and research, they believe that Wyatt Langford is going to be up pretty soon next year and be playing left field next to Evan Carter in center field. And they think that will be a really potent tandem next year for the Texas Rangers. In just a minute, found it really interesting to look at some of the other top infield prospects and where they are, including a little bit of a disagreement about Noel V. Marte versus Jackson Holiday. We'll t- discuss that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Jace Medical. We've sat down and discussed Jace Medical before and and talked about how they have the Jace case, the emergency life-saving antibiotics if you're in some sort of natural disaster or some sort of you're traveling, whatever. And it's admittedly a little bit, not say morbid, but it's a little bit like like downer, right? We're talking about this terrible stuff happens. The other cool part of Jace Medical and one that my family and I, we use is called Jace Daily. You can purchase up to a 12-month supply of your current daily prescription medications. They have a ton of different medications that cover a lot of different health issues, whether it's cholesterol or heart health, whether it's everything from like mental health to hair loss, ED drugs, tons of different medications for all kinds of different scenarios. And the way it works, you go online, you Fill out the online form. You place your order. A board-certified physician reviews it. They discuss any questions they have with you. And your supply of up to 12 months is filled by a partner pharmacy and mailed directly to your home. And so the idea is you have additional supply, a backup supply of your medication in case something were to happen. You don't have to worry about getting a refill at the worst possible time. Go to jacemedical.com. That's jasemedical.com. See what's available for you. Remember, promo code locked on is $20 off your purchase at Jace Medical. That's jasemedical.com. Welcome back into Locked On MLB Prospects, continuing to look at 2024 fantasy baseball ADP for some of the top prospects. And was continuing to go through, like I said, Evan Carter was the first one, the first prospect eligible we saw, 11th round. Wyatt Langford was the 12th round. When you keep going past that, there's some really intriguing additional options. Noel V. Marte, for the Cincinnati Reds, is the next guy that comes up. He comes up in the 13th round, number 158 overall is about where he's hovering. Really interesting. So, 
35 games last year at the major league level, 114 at-bats. Still rookie eligible, still has eligibility for 2024, but what he did at the major league level, 316, 366, 456. Three home runs, 10 extra base hits, eight walks to 25 strikeouts, six of eight on stolen bases. Uh, And this is after he spent, dealt with some injury issues, and so he spent time in both Double uh, A AA and Triple A, but also in rookie ball, because again was dealing with some injury stuff. Only got 92 games in the minors, but in those games, 279, 358, 454. So on base and slugging at the major league level were just about exactly where they were in the minors, and the batting average was better. But 35 games, small sample size. We don't necessarily know how statistically significant that is. I think it's a little unrealistic to run a 316 batting average in the majors. We saw Ellie De La Cruz do look very good early, and then it backed off as well. We'll see about that. But he is in their 13th round, 158 overall. And I think a lot of this is because right now he appears to easily be the starter at third base, depending on what they do this offseason. There's rumors that Jonathan India, who is the only one of that infield who is arbitration eligible, so he has a higher salary. There's rumors he may be available via trade. And so if Jonathan India is moved, you can very easily see an infield of Noel V. Marte at third base, where he had 26 starts of his 30 start. Yeah, of his 30 starts, he had 26 of them at third base. Uh, committed five errors, some throwing issues there, but still something where he was also adjusting to third base because he played a lot of shortstop all the way until he got uh, mostly into AAA this year. And then you've got Ellie De La Cruz at short, Matt McClain at second, Christian Encarnacion Strand at first, and Spencer Steer, who actually led that team in home runs last year. Spencer Steer can be either your DH or utility guy. We've seen him play a little bit of left field. Not that he's good at it, but you can put him out there. You've got options there. And so if you do that, Jonathan India's best fit is DH. If not DH, he's at second base. But either way, it feels like he's the guy that's going to get moved. So if he gets moved, it's very easy to see where Nuovi Marte breaks camp as the starting third baseman. The risk there is if they decide to leave Jonathan India in the lineup, keep him at second base, that kicks Matt McClain over to short, and that kicks Ellie De La Cruz over to third base. And we'll discuss Ellie De La Cruz a little bit later. He is being drafted very soon, very early in these things. I think he was back back half of the second round in a lot of these. I think on the board right now, he came off as the number two third baseman. It was like, it was Jose Ramirez, the end of round one. Ellie De La Cruz just passed the midpoint of round two, followed by Austin Riley and then Rafi Devers and then Gunnar Henderson in the third. Kind of a really early and a little bit of a risky pick because of the strikeouts. We've talked about that in the past. But so Noelvi Marte, 13th round. I think it's because he has a clearer path to major league playtime than a guy like Jackson Holiday. He's in here as a 16th rounder, number 192 overall. It's a larger gap than I honestly expected. But it also, if you think about these two teams and how the infield playtime is going to work, it makes sense because the Baltimore Orioles have so many options for just about every single infield spot. They have the unanimous rookie of the year in Gunnar Henderson. 
He can play either short or third at a very high level. And so now you're in a situation of do you like where do you play him and how does that impact everybody else? Most of the belief is that Jackson Holiday comes up and plays second base, possibly as soon as out of spring training. Fangraphs right now has the go-to lineup against righties with Gunnar Henderson at third, Jackson Holiday at short, Jordan Westberg at second. Lots of questions here. I think some of it depends. We talked about this a week or two ago. Depends on who gets moved, who gets traded out of this infield, and who, who ends up getting moved so that the Orioles can find more quality starting pitching. Some other interesting guys behind that. Junior Caminero, the Tampa Bay Rays, in the 17th round, number 199 overall, relatively close to Holiday. Uh, Same thing, we saw him debut last year. He was the youngest player in the majors when he debuted. The expectation, especially if the Wander Franco situation isn't resolved, is that Caminero would be in the majors to start next year. I think they could get by with him at shortstop. He's not going to be an amazing shortstop, probably going to be below average defensively, but I think it's good enough. I don't necessarily know what they're going to do. It may be something he starts off games at third base with a Taylor Walls at short. And then when they pinch hit for Taylor Walls late in the game because he's not a great defender, I'm sorry, he's not a great hitter, they kick Caminero over to short when they put a guy like Isaac Paredes in at third base or whatever. Jackson Churio of the Milwaukee Brewers, 20th round, number 239. Really interesting here because there's so many outfield options already for the Brewers. Obviously, you have Christian Yelich. There's a big question about whether or not he's going to get traded this offseason, but he does have a full no-trade clause, I believe. It's going to be hard to move, plus a big contract. But you've got Sal Frelick. You've got Garrett Mitchell. You've got Joey Weimer. There's a lot of outfield options already. The thought process here is, though, that Churio is so good. We talked about this on Monday. He's so good, he's going to find a way into the lineup. He's going in the 20th round on a lot of NFBC boards. And then shortstop Jordan Lawler of the Arizona Diamondbacks in the 23rd round at number 278. And this one's really interesting to me. What happened with Oswald Peraza in 2022 with the Yankees? Lawler got called up at the end of the year, but didn't get to play a ton because Ronald Perdomo was doing well. They were competing for a playoff spot and... Lo and behold, went all the way to the World Series. And now that Evan Longoria is retiring or leaving, I think he's a free agent, whatever happens, there's definitely a question about third base in Arizona. Do they try to move one of these guys, a Lawler, Perdomo, whatever, over to third base? Do they try to move a Kettle Marte? Like, what happens here to figure out third base and... How can you get Lawler into the lineup? A lot of the the big money guys here in fantasy think that there obviously is a way to do that. One of the big takeaways I have looking at this board, though, is there's not a lot of pitchers at all. I don't, and we'll talk about that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. You can score early and often this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 if your team wins. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is incredibly easy to use. 
They have a ton of betting options, spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get going in this NFL season. It's right before the holidays. There's going to be extra football on during the holidays between college and pro. Thanksgiving, obviously, is a big week for football. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So get ready with FanDuel. Again, FanDuel.com slash locked on, whether it's NFL or college. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. Okay, so one of the interesting things that I noticed when looking at the NFBC ADP rankings for fantasy baseball, where guys have been drafted already, is it is very hard to find young or prospect-eligible pitchers on this board at all. Now, the international free agent Yamamoto, he is an eighth-round guy, number uh, number 91 on here. And a little bit of a different scenario because he's been a professional pitcher at the major league level in Japan. So obviously we've seen with Kodai Senga coming in second place in the NL Rookie of the Year voting that obviously you can't ignore uh, these guys, but not a traditional rookie debuting in MLB. So putting that aside, the two earliest prospect eligible pitchers that you find on this board as of Tuesday morning is the 21st round you find Kyle Harrison of the Giants and in the 23rd round you find Mason Miller of the Oakland A's. Now both guys that have already debuted at the major league level so you've already seen them pitch we've already seen their stuff at the major league level and how it did but A lot of people, I know there's no such thing as a a pitching prospect. That's a thing that people just say and believe. But in fantasy baseball, there really isn't any such thing as as a pitching prospect because the transition into the major leagues from the minors is incredibly tough. And I think a lot of it comes, yes, obviously, it's a different level of skill from the opposing hitters at the major league level. But I think a big part of it comes back to workloads. So I was reading, we talked on the show a lot about you need to pay for good fan, for good baseball content, right? Obviously, this is a free show. I don't ask you guys to give me money. But a lot of independent creators go out there. They write. Uh, they do rankings, all that kind of stuff. We've talked before about uh, Chris Clegg with the Dynasty Dugout and his fantasy rankings. I was reading an article the other day on Substack from a writer named Brendan Tuma. And the newsletter is called Too Much Tuma. And he talked about starting pitchers are balloons. And to clarify on this, it's not his metaphor. He took this metaphor from a fantasy football writer who was talking about running backs are balloons. But the idea behind the metaphor here is about how we view the position, right? And we assume that you can take a, a pitcher, or in the original writer's case, a running back, who performed well in a limited sample. And we just assume that you can give them more and more innings, carries, whatever it might be, and they're going to perform exactly the same. Like, they're just going to be able to handle the additional workload. And the proper way we should think about it is 
like they are a balloon, right? The balloon can get bigger. It can get bigger, but it's going to stretch thinner and thinner. And at a certain point, it's going to pop. And in fantasy baseball terms, the pop would in essence be an injury. It would be an effectiveness or some sort of, of lack of consistency with production versus that small sample, right? And to me, the biggest issue you have with prospects debuting in the major leagues is what type of season-long consistency they can give you. We've seen scenarios where teams were trying to protect young pitchers. Yuri Perez is a great example of this. They sit him down before the All-Star break. They called him back up after the All-Star break because they were trying to limit his innings. Grayson Rodriguez is an example of a guy that came up with the Orioles, did not look good. They sent him down. He made some tweaks. He came back up, looked a lot better down the stretch, but they also were very mindful of his workload. And Baltimore in general had a lot of pitchers that blew past their workload concerns or blew past their previous workload limits in 2023. And some of that explains why they struggled so much at the end of the season and in the postseason. Because they had pitchers who were throwing 40 or 50 innings more than they had thrown at any point in time uh, in their careers. When you look at last season's innings totals, you get very few young pitchers that pitched more than 150 innings in their first year. So of all rookie eligible pitchers in 2023, you had exactly four guys that pitched more than 150 innings. Starting at number four, Ryan Nelson, the Arizona Diamondbacks, threw 162. He had an ERA of 488. Okay. Kodai Senga, who we mentioned earlier, was a professional pitcher before coming over. So he's outside of the traditional window of what we're looking for here, right? Number two was Ken Waldachuk of the Oakland A's, pitched 175 and two-thirds innings. He also went 6-11 with a 5-2-8 ERA. And then number one was Hunter Brown of the Houston Astros. Pitched 176 innings, 460 ERA, went 13-13, but also got moved to the bullpen because there were concerns about his, a bit, like, about his effectiveness diminished because he went through such a long season and he dealt with so much. It, his stuff faltered because of the workload, right? And when you go through this list, there's only 23 pitchers who even broke 100 innings. Brandon Fott, and this, this is regular season only, so Brandon Fott's at 96 innings and a 5.72 ERA going into the postseason. But when you look at this list, at these 23 guys, you know how many of these guys had ERAs under four? Six of them. And so it is very unlikely to get both a good performances and sustained performances over the course of a season from pitching prospects. And Tanner Bibby was number six on this list with a one with 142 innings. He also had a 2.98 ERA, which tied with Senga for the best in this snapshot that I pulled of 100 innings or more. And so was the runner-up for Rookie of the Year, gains a year of service time, one more year uh, closer to potentially leaving Cleveland as a free agent. We'll see if they 
do extension talks or anything like that with him going forward. But for fantasy baseball, and I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but for fantasy baseball, it feels like more so than ever before because the way that teams approach their young elite pitching talent in the minors, how a guy like a Ricky Tiedemann doesn't go past five innings, doesn't go past 70 pitches, or even when they come up, a guy like a Taj Bradley, and yes, he was only 22, but how you know he only got 21 starts and they kept trying to find ways to skip starts and shut him down and give him breaks, and he barely broke 100 innings on the season. It feels like in fantasy baseball, the way that you really should go is looking for those pitchers that can give you the length, right? And in the article, again, from Brendan Tuma, the Substack newsletter is called Too Much Tuma. He really does a good job of kind of breaking down the sweet spot on age and how it's a lot of pitchers in their late 20s and early 30s that are giving you the longevity. They only had five pitchers that broke 200 innings last year. And the youngest was 26 at Logan Webb. It was 26 and 27, Logan Webb and Zach Gallen, and then three guys that were over the age of 30. And so it explains the way that pitching development works now. We just don't have the ability to take a prospect, stick him into a rotation in March or in April, and let them pitch all season because they dramatically out, outpace any workload they've had in the past. And so in fantasy... You really have to think about these guys and redraft as a you pick them up as they start to come up and give you and show that they can do this at the major league level. You can't build your team around young pitchers for the most part because one, the top names don't always come up and perform well. I had Grayson Rodriguez in fantasy. I took him in the draft. I actually believe I ended up dropping him and then picking him back up when he came back up. I also had Taj Bradley struggled there too. You have to not pay as much attention in fantasy in a redraft setting to to prospect pitchers and young pitchers as you do veterans. Fantastic week this week. Couple more shows coming up. In the meantime, if you have questions for Monday's mailbag, segment ideas, anything like that, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Shows on Twitter at Locked On Farm. The link tree in our episode description and our show notes has all the rest of the ways to reach us. Discord, subtext, email, whatever it might be. Until tomorrow's show, remember, it's always a great time to pay a minor leaguer.